I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. month's single serving selection Halloween 3 Season of the Witch Okay Casey hear me out here you've got this middle-aged divorced dad protagonist he's burned bridges with his ex-wife and kids they refuse to take his phone calls because he's obsessed with trying to convince them about his quest to expose <laughs> a satanic conspiracy targeting children is this a QAnon movie? <laughs> All I gotta say is ex-wives. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> yes, we are indeed talking about Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, from the year 1982, written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, the director of Fright Night Part 2 and the 1990 TV miniseries adaptation of Stephen King's It. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. So the writing credit of this movie is a little bit weird because... It's like the original draft is written by a British sci-fi author named Nigel Neal, but then Dino De Laurentiis, who owns the distribution rights right. to this movie, saw it and was like, there needs to be way more gore in this movie. And then, you know, Nigel Neal, when he saw what they wanted to do, wanted his name taken off of it. And so then the director does a pass on the script. And it is truly like a, you could tell it's a... Frankenstein of genres <laughs> when, you, when it comes together you're like this is a horror movie what does it have to do with Halloween <laughs> so I, I guess we're getting into this movie which is I think something that was poorly thought of for a number of years but has gotten a bit of a critical reevaluation oh sure as a bit of a no pun intended cult favorite mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, Casey if you had to sum up this movie in a paragraph or two and I know this is Probably not always easy. Okay. What is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch all I about? I spent 30 seconds, 30 seconds at max talking about this. It's about a zombie pod person android apocalypse as, uh, as delivered through Halloween toys and uh, Wiccan magic and an alcoholic uh, doctor. That's all, that's all I know. The rest of it, I just don't, I think I can't understand. You guys are going to have to help me. Uh, and to join us in that conversation, longtime friend of the show and co-host of the dearly departed and missed View from the Gutters comic book podcast, Kirby Green. It's me. I'm here too. <laughs> so Thanks, Kirby. You're welcome. We're happy you're here. Kirby, what did you think of Halloween 3 season of The Witch? Well, I think my main takeaway was as I was watching the movie, because one of the things I love about horror movies is a lot of times they'll kind of express what like the zeitgeist is scared of at that moment, right? The like, Irish? The Irish, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but I was like looking at it, I was just like, oh, is this about like consumerism? Is this about like, you know, knives and kids candy? Right. Like, what what are we trying to say? And no, I was wrong. It was about um Stonehenge yeah. being <laughs> being magic or something <laughs> this is kind of a satanic panic movie in it a is bit. Right, it is definitely right. satanic panic it's, but. it's definitely like just like a oh there's a cult and we got to figure out what what the cult's doing and destroy the cult i mean it's a pretty despite the fact that it has the name of a franchise that you know something about what you get is something totally different. Yeah, so, okay, you're probably wondering if you've watched any other Halloween movie, and at this point there have been 13 of them. You're like, well, where the fuck is Michael Myers? Where is that guy with the chalk white mask walking around really slowly and stabbing people with a kitchen knife? And I think that uh, Deborah Hill and John Carpenter, the producers of this movie, the producers of the original movie too, uh, we're thinking that they were going to transition the Halloween series into an anthology series, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that it was going to be a different horror movie with a different setting and a different group of characters every year, and it wasn't going to need to connect to anything else. The problem was that this was Halloween 3, not Halloween 2, and that the expectation had been set up right. <laughs> that it was going to continue the things that you have seen before. If this had been Halloween 2, I think it would have been easy to make an anthology series, but... You'd had two Michael Myers movies. So I think a lot of people went into this with the expectation this is a Michael Myers series. And when he doesn't show up, the disappointment of that has 
overwritten their ability to just judge it on its own merits. And it just becomes, oh, that's the bad movie because it didn't give me the thing I expected. Hmm. Mm. I got such a uh, so I didn't I've seen I've seen Halloween one and two. Um, this is the for this podcast this is the first time that I've seen this, so it was pleasantly same. surprised. Pleasantly surprised. Um, I fi- I felt like the, it was I felt like the same experience of watching Troll two, you know, like Troll two being this infamous good bad movie that is directed by someone who is way not the same as Troll one. It's like like so far off the map. It doesn't even there's no trolls in Troll two. You know, like everything is weird. There's all these things that are disjointed and don't make any sense. It feels like this kind of horror movie where it's like you can horror movies are cheap, they're easy, they're schlock, and if you've got the name of another movie, you can just slap that movie on there and then put it in the theaters. And for sure, this is like a diehard level Frankenstein of a movie. There are so many weird choices that this movie makes that I can easily take out a movie scalpel and sit down with this script and go, okay. If I want to streamline this and make it make more coherent sense that the pieces fit together better, I can go either the sci-fi route or the supernatural horror route. And I go, okay, let's go the let's go the sci-fi route. Instead of like a, a druidic cult um, that is going to sacrifice children using um, a mixture of both Stonehenge magic, and microchips and television. So you got this sort of sci-fi fantasy marriage happening that is so weird. And, you know, even though they are a supernatural cult, they still have an army of clockwork androids. Mm-hmm. So you go, okay, let's take the sci-fi thing. Instead of a cult, you know, they are aliens. They are alien invaders who want to turn your kids into robot automatons using this broadcast. And you go that route. And then you go, okay, I'm going to go the supernatural route. And you say, okay, this is a pagan cult that wants to have a mass human sacrifice to their god. And instead of using... Um, like microchips and androids we just when you that little medallion that apparently is the heart of this of this broadcast killing these kids there's just like a rune scratched in and written in blood inside it's just a spell you could go one of those two routes but instead it chooses both of them (laughs) and it becomes this weird amalgam of so many ideas that don't seem like they should be in the same movie but because they're there it becomes so much more weird and memorable because you have no idea what the next reveal is going to be because none of it is obvious none of it is intuitive and all of it just feels so fucking weird so that when you have this this divorced alcoholic dad investigating this mass conspiracy it just feels like the the him trying to tell anybody about what he has seen is going to be something that everybody disbelieves because it is just that fucking crazy i when we uh, a couple years back we did phantasm um, which is a similar similar thing, like low budget, low budget mo- sci fi movie from the or excuse me horror movie from the eighties, and it does the opposite of this. Is that when one of the characters is like, "Hey, there's some spooky shit going on." Um, the movie doesn't fuck around with having people not believe them. It just go like goes hard. It goes like, "Okay, we're doing this. Like this is <laughs> happening." The 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 best thing you can say about this movie is that the doctor I call him Doctor Dan, the uh, Tom Atkins character. Dr. Dan, he just doesn't give a shit about anything else, and he's just going to go straight for the mystery. Like, it doesn't make any sense why he's uprooting his whole life because this one guy on one of his night shifts just died. It makes no sense. He is on the verge of burning down every bridge in his life. (laughs) And you give the impression, and this is actually something I think was fairly subtly done, his alcoholism, Mm -hmm. because you never see the big scene of him just being sloshed. He's never like, you don't see the scene of him being so incoherently drunk that he ruins something in his life. There's never the scene of him hitting somebody or anything like that. But you just get, Enough context clues that you know why his marriage ended. Well, are you talking about the road beers? He has a <laughs> six-pack of road beers that's on top of the payphone. 
but like he's like, I got to take a drive an hour north. I think I'm gonna need six beers. <laughs> yeah, and I say then, that's like three hours. So if I, <laughs> yeah, it's like. But then when he gets there, he goes, "Oh man, I need a drink," which means he drank all six of those beers <laughs> on the way up to uh, Santa Mira, and it's it's crazy. So you see that every time he has even a moment's break, he's in a bar. Or he runs out in Santa Mira. He's like, okay, we're going to investigate this thing. There's a lot of weird shit going on. But first, I got to run to the liquor store and buy a <laughs> bottle of something. Um, he's Or he has a shot glass in his hand or something. There's always something there. So that when near the end of the movie, when he calls his ex-wife to warn them about this conspiracy, that his kids are in danger, he's trying to whisper because he doesn't want people to hear him. And his wife, he goes, no, I'm not drunk. <laughs> um, you get the impression that even though this movie seems like it was like bankrolled by the divorce dad lobby, <laughs> where it's just phone call after phone call to his ex-wife where he has to explain why he's about to disappoint his kids. <laughs> and this guy has definitely not shown up to like a bunch of music recitals and school plays and softball games forever. And it's probably not for the reasons in this movie, which this movie goes out of its way because the divorced dad lobby wants to tell you, you've got a really good reason for not showing up. I've got to stop a global conspiracy to sacrifice children. Um, instead, it's probably because he was either fucking around with somebody or he was drunk. This is not the first call where she thought he was drunk on the other end of the well, line. Well, I mean, at the, yeah. at the beginning when he's uh, he's at the house with his kids, she's like, Oh, at the hospital and drunk. Sounds like a good idea. And I just have to say, he is kind of a big walking HR violation. Like yeah. Yeah. the ass grabbing that he's doing and the being drunk. And uh, it was pretty... a different time. It was oh, fine. Sure, sure. He was a manly man. It was okay. <laughs> but I think a lot of people might watch this movie and they sort of sympathize with him. And But there's enough context clues that when you watch this movie the second and third time, you're definitely on his wife's side in this divorce. <laughs> well, is he an unreliable narrator? Did any of this actually happen, mm, or is he just it, making stuff up so that, he could that would make drunk drive sense. and marry his daughter wife? <laughs> <laughs> but we go into the the dream sequence from that scene where he's in the bar and the daughter of the murdered guy shows up. Yeah. The rest of the movie is really just him sitting in the bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, "How am I?" Go-? He's like writing the story out. Okay, so here's what I'm going to tell my wife: I can't see those kids again. Like. <laughs> It's just so we should I hate those kids. <laughs> Let's lay out this conspiracy sure. so that everyone knows what we're talking about. Because this is the Halloween movie, I'm sure when they go through their marathon of this series, they usually skip them. Um I hadn't seen this movie for a very long time. I think I had this thing probably about ten years ago where I know it was at least 10 years ago because I was renting these at Blockbuster. But sure. I had a week where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to watch all these slasher movies I'd never seen before. And when I got to Halloween, I just skipped this one because this is the one that had that bad reputation mm. that everyone sort of yeah. skipped. And I got, I got around to it later. So the conspiracy in this movie is that there is a mask and novelty company called Silver Shamrock, <laughs> which runs a factory town which used to be a dairy. So it's like out in the middle of rural California. Everyone in town is a cultist for this thing or an Android. <laughs> and they are... Who are they, programmed to be cultists. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to tell who's human and who's not. Some of them seem too folksy to be an Android. Like the guy who runs the, the motel, that's a human, I'm guessing. Yeah. But most of the guys who walk around looking kind of robotic and stand there like mannequins, I'm guessing those are the androids. Sure. Oh, I thought all the androids were just the guys in suits. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could tell. Yeah. The guys that have like that like severely restrained 80s business hair. <laughs> so you have this this factory that's making these masks and they are the hottest new thing. All the kids want them. I don't know why. But the, there's these three masks. And do you know what the name of this series of masks was? Did you listen? They call them the Halloween Three. Oh, <laughs> ding, ding, we ding. did it. Actually, we could just stop here. I think we figured it out. <laughs> That's this movie best picture yeah. right there. Um, so they have they have did this massive ad buy everywhere. So everyone is every 10 minutes, there's somebody switching on a TV in this movie. And whatever you're watching, 10 seconds after that ends, it goes in. Dun, 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 <laughs> and it's an ad for, you know, on Halloween night, there's going to be this big giveaway. All the kids put on your masks and watch this broadcast. This what really... was it giving away, though? They oh, never yeah, say. They say. Their anything. life. Yeah. <laughs> 
they your, never your say freedom. <laughs> because it better be like a million dollars or something to get a bunch of people to put on your masks and watch this broadcast. You get a voucher for another mask next year. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, five percent off. Yeah, but it would have to be something big because not only that, just imagine this is an era where there are only three major TV networks. That was the craziest thing. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a thing. Only three networks, um, but constant television radio ads talking about eight more days till Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, L- London Halloween. Bridge is falling down in the uh, the Silver Shamrock. That's what it is. <laughs> With the the beautiful, just bouncy, synthy John Carpenter music. <laughs> this is so and, weird and so annoying because you probably hear it about twenty five times. And it's yeah. such an earworm <laughs> that even the guy, the drunk guy in in Santa Mira, who's like, I'm gonna throw a fucking Molotov cocktail at that place to be their last goddamn no, Halloween. He said he'd need a case and a half a mold of cocktails. <laughs> but yeah, as if they sell them in cases. At the liquor store, there's just a, an aisle where there's just a bunch of rags sticking out of them. But um, even he's uh, humming that song to himself. And I'm right. like, it's such an earworm that the guy who hates them and wants to burn their factory down is singing it to himself. That's how much of an earworm this song is. Don't, 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 don't. You hear it so many fucking times. But it's like an ad buy that's everywhere. Everyone, it's like you. There is no escaping this radio ad, this television ad, and the plan is that on Halloween night, after the horrorthon, there will be at 9 p.m. a broadcast where all the kids are going to watch a TV, look at this footage of this blinking pumpkin, mm-hmm. and this little medallion in the back of their mask, which contains a microchip and a fragment of a stolen Stonehenge stone. (laughs) I'm surprised that's not like, well, you can continue, but like, why is no one talking about that Stonehenge missing? I know. (laughs) It's like, there's a little thing at the beginning on TV and then they, they go out of their way to not explain it. Like, like the, the boss of this company, Connell Cochran, who is played by the old man. Oh, the old man from from RoboCop. RoboCop. The old man. (laughs) Um, I knew says, that like, I I knew that I recognized him before I had to look him up, but I was like, oh fuck, Robocop. Yeah, he is always an evil CEO. That is yeah. his job, but he has this sort of glee in this movie where he he's just so excited to tell people about his James Bond plot. And just like, oh, we had a devil of a time bringing it here. You don't have no idea how we did it. And I love that they never explain but can, it. Back up for a second here. The the thing, the theme, the silver shamrock Santa Mira theme is that, you know, it's a four leaf clover and the whole town is made of, you know, the whole town's full of Irish people. And certainly Rafferty, who's the guy who runs the gas station and hotel, is Irish and he's got like a map of Ireland in his office or whatever. Um, Stonehenge is not from Ireland. No. <laughs> no. So not. what and why and how? But it's a thing you've and, heard of. And no one else, after Rafferty, no other, I don't know if the drunk does, no one else speaks in an Irish accent. It's mostly just Android people speaking. And uh, um, Cochran himself is like British. Yeah. He talks like a like a aristocrat. I, what the fuck? Yes. <laughs> this movie doesn't have to make sense. But it, it's not in Ireland. Yeah, that's no. absolutely true. <laughs> so basically, when these children, all wearing the masks, watch this broadcast at 9 p.m., there will be this massive pagan sacrifice where, and I imagine all all people, pagan practitioners, watch this movie and f- absolutely feel seen. <laughs> uh, but it's the reputation, it's the representation that we were all asking for. But... Um, it sends a signal and a blue laser fires out mm-hmm. of the Silmar Shamrock medallion on the back of every one of these masks. And it kills all of the children by turning their heads into bloody flesh bags full of bugs and snakes. <laughs> and they just collapse. And then they're just, it's like their head becomes, what is the name of the bad guy from the nightmare before Christmas? Oh yeah. Oogie Boogie. Yeah. Where he's That's a- what I thought of too. It's like <laughs> the exact same bugs are in their heads now, I guess. Yeah, so they just, and then those I mean, it makes for a really cool practical effect. Yeah. Because you've just got this weird, like, mannequin head mask that's sort of melted, and then actual bugs start crawling out of it, and you're like, oh, God, that doesn't look, that (laughs) looks awful. That one kid had a rattlesnake crawls out of that mask. (laughs) That is a big snake. And the mom is so scared, she dies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She just dies. Oh, it's, so basically that is the plot, and that, the beginning of this movie, a you know prophet of doom style guy who has seen too much, 
runs out of that town and ends up collapsing at a gas station and is driven to the emergency room where this doctor works. And that thus begins the mystery. That he's, no, he's a beleaguered toy salesman. Yeah, there's a lot <laughs> there's of... There's a lot of toy salespeople in yeah. this movie. A lot of murdered shop owners seems to be the main thing going into this. They're like really anti-small business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they definitely have they definitely have a finger wagging about you probably go shop at the mall now. There's this, yeah. there's that big like like old storefront uh, brick and mortar store versus the mall like the mall's killing. You know now it would be Walmart if this movie were if this movie were made in like in 2002, it would have been like you'd probably get all your toys at Walmart, and so that's why we've got to close down. You know. But it definitely has that sort of vibe, like the the little guys are having to drive all the way out to this rural town <laughs> because their order was misplaced or was gotten mm-hmm. wrong. It's, they have to go out there and, and fix it. <laughs> Except for that like RV family who are just the most obnoxious people in the world. Oh my gosh, I wanted to be that wife. I was like, make me her. <laughs> <laughs> But she the, had very few. She has very few cares in the world. It seems. I know. She yeah. just seemed like she was like, "Listen, I'm a kept woman, and I'm here for it." <laughs> <laughs> and they have a disgusting shit boy of a kid. Oh yeah, yes. the yes. shit boy. I guess yes. I would have to deal with that. Never yeah. mind. I yeah, when she yells at him to not ride his bike into the street, and he gives her the finger. It's just <laughs> charming. But yeah, it's the thing. It's again, this movie is so so strange in that. This is, I'm going to say it's Tom Atkins is not the sort of guy that you get as the main character in your movie. And there's something kind of weirdly refreshing about a guy who just looks like your friend's dad being the hero of your horror movie with his like mustache and his like members only jacket. And he's just, <laughs> he, they don't go for like a Tom Cruise energy in this movie. He's not young. He's not sexy, despite the fact that women throw themselves at him. That's what I mean mm-hmm. about being bankrolled by the divorced dad lobby. <laughs> he does not have to try very hard. There are several yeah. women that, that are definitely really into him. Everyone except for his ex-wife. <laughs> um, well, because she, she knows. <laughs> she knows him too well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the thing that's just so crazy about this, do you guys know... Um, do you guys know Tom Atkins from anything? Well, he's in the fog. That's the thing, the first thing that I saw him in. Yeah, he's one of the the guys in the control room in Escape from New York at the beginning. Yeah. But what I primarily know him from is he played Lieutenant Deal on a couple seasons of the Rockford Files. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. he was this asshole cop that's always giving Jim Rockford a hard time. So he, I he been... looks like he could play an asshole mm-hmm. cop with that fucking mustache. So yeah. I have got this like <laughs> conditioning when I see this actor to go, oh, for this fucking asshole again. It's just he's about to give Rockford a hard time. <laughs> um, and it works for this movie, I think, because there's a reason why nobody believes him, because this is a guy who has burned some bridges. He has made he makes at least three phone calls to his ex-wife to explain why he can't, as promised, pick up his kids. <laughs> and even though this movie gives him the best of excuses, like I'm trying to save the world from an evil cult, um, you know that, again, he did not have good excuses in the past. He did not, and you can totally buy into this. Does you know? Even though the world is sort of made for him, where you know the pretty twenty-something girl just throws herself at him for no reason, really, as far as I can tell. Um, but well, and he well, can, it, he can grope women at his job, and that's oh, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that the daughter wife. Uh, she. That's <laughs> like I'm calling her, and then um, but. She just lost her father. So there was some daddy issues, I think, oh, happening with yeah. her that were like, oh, now I don't have a man in my life. This will do until I find out he's an alcoholic and making up stories as to why he can't come and see our children. There is something about a guy that is probably has an easier time relating to women that are much younger than him who haven't had the experience of being in a relationship with him dot dot yet <laughs> um, because he uh, that there's a vibe it's a definite there's a lot of red flags with this lead character and i kind of find it i kind of i like the fact that we have a character this problematic that it it gives you somebody who wouldn't be believed i mean this is a crazy story in the first place if you start trying to call anybody about it that that this man was murdered in my hospital by an android who immediately went out to his car and set himself on fire. <laughs> um, it sounds crazy even then, but when you know that this is a guy who has a drinking problem, when the daughter of the murdered man comes to find him and he's in the bar, the thing she first thing she says to him is, the nurses told me I'd find you here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, and he lies to her about the her uh, the dad's last words, and she immediately knows. Mm-hmm. So that, that is the one interesting thing. That, that there's and then there's another turn that I think is not forgivable for the character, which is how easily she wants to go to bed with them. Mm-hmm. Like how like that this the situation of them sort of switching to where they could be like, well, we're just we're just partners on this uh you know partners on this mystery to now we're in bed together is like. A, the turn of a dime like it's just so so it's short. like they skipped three pages of the script right mm-hmm. right because it goes from them having taken a motel room together and him trying to figure out the logistics of who's going to sleep where and he's being like a, a mature adult in that he's not trying to find a back door into sleeping with her and he's like listen um maybe i should get another room she's like, oh that'll blow our cover pretending to be a married couple he's like well I guess I guess I'll go sleep in the car because it's better than you know sleeping on the floor. She's like, "Well, where do you want to sleep?" <laughs> and it's like, I guess we're I guess we're in a different movie now. Listen, there was so much other stuff they had to like pack into this movie. The love story right. was kind of pushed to the side. They're together now. It's a match made in heaven. <laughs> and then he calls the mortician or whatever. <laughs> and there's right. a past relationship there too. Yeah, like she says, like you owe me another. Oh, I always have time for dinner with you. And you're just like. Yeah, I think she had something to do with the dissolution of his marriage. And it's like, he's flirting with everybody Mm -hmm. in this movie. And I'm just kind of like, oh boy. Uh, It's like, you're lucky I'm watching you fight a cult. Otherwise, man, I wouldn't like you. Uh, But it's, it's so bizarre. One of my favorite, like... To minor characters in this movie is the gas station attendant mm-hmm. who pops up at the beginning when the, the Harry Grimbridge, I think is his name. Mm. He's the, the guy who's like, they're going to kill us all. And he collapses at the gas station. The gas station attendant takes him to Dr. Dan's hospital. And um, he bookends the movie, doesn't he? He's yeah, like, he yeah. bookends the movie. He yeah. comes yeah. back at the end. And I, when he sees Dr. Dan freaking out as the new guy who's stumbling into his gas station going, oh, my God, it's life and death. <laughs> it's like the second time in this movie the guy has seen this shit. Um, but what I love is that when he drops him off at the hospital, he's there. He's like, hey, man, can I leave? You know, I I just don't want any trouble. <laughs> and then the the Silver Shamrock commercial plays on one of the room's TVs. Like, dun, 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 dun. And that's enough to jar this collapsed guy into half half consciousness. And he's like, they're going to kill us. They're going to kill us all. And you see this look on the gas station attendant's face where he's like, nope, nope. I'm going to leave this yes. movie. It's, and just, he just, it's a reverse shot and it's him going out the door. Yes. <laughs> he's just like, see him back away two steps, turn and walk away. He's like, I'm not going to be in this movie. I'm not going to be in this movie. And I kind of love, that is my favorite reaction in the whole movie. I'm just like, yep, nope. Nope, 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 nope. I'm getting paid three fifty an hour right now, <laughs> and it's definitely not worth getting involved in this shit. This seems like shit that they're going to call the cops about, and I do not need that noise. But yeah, he does show up at the end again, and I'm going to say this is one of my favorite endings to almost any movie ever. This one of of Doctor yeah, Dan. It's almost almost like the level of like a Christopher Nolan ending. It's yeah, like a what's going to happen? Like oh my god! Of, like the end of Inception, where it leaves you on this whoa. Mm-hmm. So he's on the phone screaming at. I think it's it's not station manager. It's got to be like the national network number. He's just calling Les Moonves on the phone, and he's like, "Shut it all down! Shut it down! <laughs> Shut it down! You got you're like, I can't prove it. I know, but..." And he's just like begging and pleading with him to take it off because you know at that moment there's kids turning into bugs, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love that you don't see it. There's just this. You saw it once in the test thing at the factory, yeah. and you just know it's probably happening. He's begging and pleading, and then just that one last channel of the three of the three channels, <laughs> and he's just screaming into the phone, and it. Does one of my favorite things, cut in the middle of a stream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I am a big fan of the cut in the middle of a stream. And it just, you don't know. You just don't know at the end of this movie. Well, luckily, that means only a third of the kids on the planet were <laughs> sacrificed instead of all of them. So, yeah, just you got to take your wins when you yeah. can get them. But he still doesn't know if his own kids or heads are being melted at That's this true. moment. That's true. I mean, it might, well, then he won't have to pick them up anymore. So. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Kirby, I've got a question for you. What? Where are the witches in season one? Oh of the my Witch? gosh. I was so mad there wasn't any witches. <laughs> I really wanted it to be like full on cult stuff because there, that's one of my favorites, but was there was like there was like a isn't there a sidelong reference to like, oh, it's like witchcraft what they're doing with the stone, mm-hmm. the, the cairn or whatever, all yeah. the stone or whatever. No witches to be found. There, there was I mean, I guess there was like the witch mask. 
<laughs> yeah. So that might be what they mean. <laughs> I I was so confused. Uh, I, what I did know what we haven't we haven't referenced is that this film, other than sharing the name with the Halloween series, has two times in it where the mo- this this movie references that Halloween the movie exists within this universe. Yes. Yeah. Like like the Halloween the movie is. The uh, Halloween the movie is being played on the TV's like horathon, right? Um, and I guess it's used for torture in a in a holding cell or something. But it's like John Carpenter's ha- Halloween on yeah, it, TV. It's it that showing of John Carpenter's Halloween is being sponsored by Silver right. Shamrock, <laughs> who is following the broadcast with the flashing pumpkin that makes your head turn into bugs. I, well, that that yeah. may have been fun though if they continued with the anthology stuff. Like you know maybe in the next one if they like didn't go back to the Michael Myers stuff. Like they go to a store and there's a mask like in the store. Like it just kind of like right. has little references to the other ones. Well, or there... what if it's always a, the last movie is a movie in the universe of right. the next movie. Right. Yeah. So you just see it on a screen. So it's like this Russian nesting doll <laughs> of pocket universes that each one takes place inside of another movie. I, and so the, the here's the thing that confused me too is isn't the mask that Michael Myers is like a William Shatner mask right yeah. and I guess I think it gets corrupted over time to be something that's not a William Shatner mask but the fact that you don't get to see a William Shatner ma- mask or any reference to William would, Shatner was a missed opportunity I thought so too I was surprised there wasn't like you know one of the masks they had like what a witch a pumpkin and what was the last yeah, one a skeleton head Ske- was a skeleton yes yeah. it was okay they could have added a fourth one that was the exclusive then one. It wouldn't have been Halloween three. They I, turned your whole body into a bug. <laughs> it's basically just a, um, what was that? Oh fuck! I'm gonna forget that reference. But uh, for the metamorphosis, a Kafka reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it very deliberately tells you this is not in the same universe as the other one, and it's getting that kind of separation, which I like. I I like that they have a little Easter egg reference to the other movie. But it makes me wonder what this franchise could have been going forward had this movie been the success that they wanted it to be. Yeah. 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 Could this have been a franchise that would have kept going every year with a new movie, a new director, a new setting? And then if you're going to bring back Michael Myers, bring him back in like Halloween 5. And then it feels like a big deal because I really think the problem with the Michael Myers franchise is that he's a character that really suffers the more you expose him. The more he appears on screen, the more you try to explain him, you get these diminished returns. Mm -hmm. So if you spread it out a little bit, like if Halloween 2 hadn't been Halloween 2, if this had been Halloween 2, and then... Halloween 2 would have been Halloween 4 or something. It would feel more special. It would allow the character to retain his mystery, his strangeness, that he's a blank face and you don't know what he wants. You don't know what he feels. He's just moving around deliberately and stabbing people. And the fact that you don't understand him is what makes him scary. It lets you make it special. It becomes an event when he comes back rather than just something we do every other year. Yeah. Well, they could have also like done a thing where it's like, okay, the slasher one is Michael Myers. The like culty one is you know the master or something. And then they have like other like kind of archetypes, and then they kind of cycle through them. So it's like, oh, this year's the slasher year. Yeah, you know, which is it was interesting because like watching it too, I there was a lot of like kind of repeating themes. Like um, the theme that plays on the TV is a lot like the do 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 do. You know, it's like an earworm like that. And then right. the mass was like another thing that was kind of like, oh, okay, these are like staples that they could have just kept going like there's always a mass there's always like a theme there's always well the guy you know. who, the guy who directed the movie was an art director and so for some of it it makes total sense it mm-hmm. would be like what are the things that end up being kind of strong and memorable about the movie is like the relationship between the masks and those commercials and like the weird the gore effects of like the thing coming out of their heads those are all like art directors like wouldn't it be great if we could do this um so it feels like that at least plays to its strengths i mean the stuff that stitches it in between is so puzzle, like jigsaw puzzle and confusing. You don't get it, but you can clearly see like the auteur of someone who started off being as a designer, right? Yeah. The things that I decide to do are based entirely on what I think would be really cool to do yeah. or what I have an idea to do or something that I've always wanted to try X, Y, Z. So let's take all of this stuff and we throw it into the pot and try to make a soup out of it. And the randomness is kind of where a lot of the movie's charm comes from. Right, right. But it makes it really incoherently weird. And it's the fact that I can never predict it the first time I watch it, where I'm trying to go, 
wait, there's androids in this movie? <laughs> Clockwork androids that have like butterscotch blood and they're full of like little gears and they make little... Well, th- this was in the same year as uh, Blade Runner and both of the both of those movies presage the idea that an android's favorite way to kill a human being is by crushing their face. Yeah. In both, in both, in both ones, the replicants and the androids here like to crush people's faces. It's just, yeah, though they pull that dude's head off. <laughs> the death of the... Of the little boy, the little shit boy mm-hmm. who of the RV family, is that goes really hard, and it it's weird because go. you don't expect this movie to show you the stakes because you have to show somebody get killed by the mask mm-hmm. to set the stakes for the end when you don't see everything. You need to see how horrible it is so that you can imagine it happening at millions of places right now at this moment, and it gives you the desperation. Plus that do 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 really kind of. It, it's recontextualized into something scary. It's like the scene has a pulse. But the fact that they kill this kid is so dark when it's, you realize how dark. many potential victims they could have used. The old drunk guy, they could have thrown him in there. Mm-hmm. Like they just see the androids grab him and you don't see him for like 30 minutes. And then he's the one locked in there tied to the thing with a mask on. It's so dark that they kill that kid. Um, it's, it's, I mean, I, I respect its guts. This movie was willing to shoot the hostage. And <laughs> it's because <laughs> it is a movie about a bunch of guys plotting to murder like a million children. Right. And they based, fucking do it. Based on what? That they hate children, I guess? I, is that like, he's that. Children have ruined Halloween and turned it into a game where it should be about the hills running red with blood. It's yeah. kind of vague. But, but I mean, see, even then you could be like a, it could be very much be like a, oh, this is a anti-commercialism kind of a story. Yeah, because the that's bad what I guys, thought. That's what I was thinking originally. I, I was like, these kids are like obsessed with these masks and the TV and like. That's not the kid's fault. Yeah. <laughs> right? that's, that's, well, it's their alcoholic father's fault. The, but. the yes. company can't get mad when they're the ones selling the mask and getting the kids to watch TV. They're they're making so much money. How can they be so mad? (laughs) That's the thing that's so weird is that like the coroner, his his I get the impression is sort of an ex off and off again, on again girlfriend that he keeps calling to get an update on the guy who set himself on fire and she's like, I don't know, there doesn't seem to be a body to autopsy and it's her slowly realizing that it's a robot. And just as she's about to realize that it's a robot is on Halloween night and the android shows up at the the morgue or whatever she works and kills her with a drill. And I'm thinking, <laughs> why the fuck do you need to close that, that hanging plot thread? Uh, why do you need to kill her? Because in about three hours, you're going to murder like a million children. And at that point, ironically, masks are off. There's no hiding who's behind this because literally everyone wearing a mask with your company logo on it has just collapsed dead with a head full of bugs. And, it's like, you're not doing this again next year. Your company is over. You're on a boat somewhere or you're all going to dump. I don't know. Are you going to kill yourselves? What is the plan after this? What is- uh, they've got the best lawyers yeah. is what the plan is. <laughs> you didn't know there were this little, those little asterisk that's really tiny on that medallion says that we're not responsible for any injuries sustained. Right. Well, we're not responsible for your heads turning into bugs. And in the 1980s, as a corporation, they could probably get away with that. <laughs> They, the climax, which is basically um, Dr. Dan and Ellie escaping, like finding out the, the the reveal, like, oh, it's Stonehenge. Oh, they're building this this thing to open up a portal or something uh, to, I don't know, you know, to set make the sacrifice. It's science magic. It's, it, they, like, dump a, bear, a box of the microchips down on all of the androids, and somehow that makes them spark off and... Oh, I thought it was because the TVs were going and playing the thing to trigger them. He turned them on, and now they're all sparky. They're ready to to shoot blue lasers. How he knew how to turn it on, I don't know. Oh, he, oh he, I watched it again. He watched them do it when he was showing them how the thing oh, worked. Oh, okay. He, knew, he like, remembered which buttons to press on the little, like, uh, the, like the little, it, was like, it looks like it's from a TV station. Right? Yeah. yeah. That little <laughs> It's thing. super analog. There's a lot of towers and boxes of blinky lights. Right. And That's really impressive because I can't remember stuff like that when I'm drunk. So. <laughs> most of, <laughs> and most of those buttons are really indistinct. Yes. So I'm like, I'm, I'm completely sober and I wouldn't have remembered any of that. I would have just like, ah, random buttons. Yeah, but hope this is right. <laughs> but yeah, when I paid attention to that part of it, the time I rewatched it last time, um, yeah, he, it's like th- you push three buttons on the panel and then you twist that dial and it turns on that. Dun, 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 there dun, you dun, go. Dun, dun. But the, so the, the end is that he makes like an energy nexus and uh, Cochrane is stuck in the middle and he's sort of like, 
he's like the energy from the Stonehenge and the energy from this portal that they make goes into him. And then you kind of see him before he dies and he's got a smile on his face. He's like a big salt person because his body has been like destroyed. But I think he gets the happy ending. I think yeah. that's mm-hmm. what he wanted. As far as he's concerned, he already won. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he's like, this is this is great. I turn into energy. I get warped back to who, druid times. Who knows? When when uh, Dr. Dan kills all those androids, I love he gives him a little opera clap. <laughs> like he's a little, it's like, I think he doesn't think that Dr. Dan can stop what's already happening. Sure. I think he believes it's already over. Um, I was trying to figure out the mechanism, if it's these computers in the circle, because it's kind of like a computer monitor Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably very deliberate. Sure. What is the mechanism for firing off this this signal that activates the little disc on the back of all the masks? And I was thinking, what it reminded me of was a toy line from the 80s called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. It's okay. You actually remember it? That was before it, my time. I'm sorry. <laughs> it had like nine episodes, but yep. when you're when you're a little kid, mm-hmm. time bends and it becomes a flat circle. And <laughs> what was a TV show that only had five episodes suddenly feels like it lasted for years to you. Mm-hmm. So Captain Power was this uh, toy line. It was sort of a mix of really rudimentary CGI with live action guys in sort of Power Rangers costumes. And Captain Power had sort of the gold armor on. Mm -hmm. But the toy for Captain Power was supposed to be interactive with the TV. That you put Captain Power inside of this Oh, like a Rob. Yeah, like a Rob. Um, It pretended you're interacting because it doesn't really interact with you. Mm -hmm. Um, But really what it is is there's some kind of light sensor in the toy. And if your toy gets shot down by something on the screen, then it ejects captain power out like the ship has been shot down like he gets shot out of the that ship that sounds and you so fun and L- let me guess it's just flashing white lights oh yeah <laughs> That's it's, it it's flashing white lights that nowadays would not be allowed because it would absolutely <laughs> give kids seizures <laughs> but at the time you were convinced that you were interacting with the tv show right and i thinking that's probably what activates these discs on the back of the mask sure. it's probably that flashing light oh all, i thought having... it was the music it's like what I thought. It's like it would like hear and like, I don't know something about that. What was, was it like that I actually thing. in the, se- the second time through? I was thinking about that very thing because I had what last year or the year before I had watched. What's the? There's two Rob Zombie movies that are worth watching. One's House of a Thousand Corpses, and the other is not the Halloween. That's no, for not sure. the Halloween one. It's something about witches. It's a, it's one that's based in Salem. Is either of you or any of Rob Zombie uh, fans? No. What Hocus Pocus? No. <laughs> no, it's one of the. It's like an early two thousands Rob Zombie movie. It's one mm. of the ones that he's well, well considered. And the premise of the movie is about like, oh, there's like a return of witch witchcraft uh, to the world, and things have been lost, and there is like this. I was gonna say Ernest scared stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the lead character, the Sherry Moon Zombie character, is like a DJ, and she plays music and. It turns out that there's this ancient, like, melody that was sung by witches, and the ancient... I still think that you're talking about Hocus. Could still be. <laughs> so there is the, the, there is hidden tracks in that devil music. Right. Yes. What I was gonna say is the ancient melody could have been. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I, I was just like, tried... God damn, they were so boring back then. This flashback to like 1000 AD, <laughs> and there's a bunch of druids going dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> It's like, oh. you don't know, but there was this forgotten time where everyone had sort of synthesized Atari music, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and <laughs> we've just forgotten it. Well, it's like that in the steam engine did in we the mention Library that this, of Alexandria. Did we mention that this, even though this isn't a Carpenter movie, it's a Carpenter score? Yeah. So you there's there's that. I, I, I thought that it sounded a lot more like Terminator. Terminator, yes. Like, like that Brad Fidel had probably watched this movie and been like, oh, I like when John Carpenter does this, where it's really sparse. When it's really like it, it seems echoey and far away. And and there's it, this long, slow chord yeah. on the keyboard that dun 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 dun. Yeah, it's it, it reminded me. It's, I I wondered if you asked the composer of uh, Terminator One and Two if he had if he was a fan of John Carpenter. I'm sure he, he was. has to be. Yeah, he has to be. I think it's kind of cool that John Carpenter came back to do the music of this movie because a lot of people who make the original movie and then kind of take a back seat as an executive producer, which usually just means I get more royalties. I don't actually have to do work. I think he, him and Deborah Hill are definitely people who want to continue to do work, though, you know, he still 
is going to be directing his own movies, but he was a lot more hands-on with this than I think a lot of other people are in franchises. Once you hit that point that you can just take the executive producer credit, get your money. Hey, if one of them wins an Oscar later, I think I get one of the statues. Right. Didn't they do, didn't John Carpenter also do the uh, score for the new Halloween movies, the David Gordon Green ones? Yes, he did. Yeah. 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 Okay. The the first three plus the last three are the ones that he did. Mm -hmm. And I think that was probably the best way to bring somebody back is that most of the time when you bring somebody back to a franchise after a long time, it's just a recipe for disappointment. It's like having Dr. Dan as your dad. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, no, he's not coming to your baseball game. Um, uh, I thought it was going to be great, but it wasn't. But yeah, I think I think that uh, that is the best use. I think that's what John Carpenter's interested in doing now. I think he's uh, mostly retired from movies, and I think that doing the score is the thing that he's most passionate about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about when I when I looked up uh, Tommy Lee Wallace's uh, filmography, and you know he did make Fright Night Two, and he did make the It miniseries, but almost everything else that he's done has been on TV, mm-hmm. and I could not help but think of um, Running Man as being this um, this kind of example of a type of a 80s genre movie where the budget and the quality is really low. Like, it's actually it's pretty shockingly low compared to what the studios would normally release. Um, and usually using TV, people who are wor- used to working in TV kind of personnel. So it's like a TV movie... Plus a half step up, yeah, and that's kind of what I feel like. There are some things that are that I think are are filmic that are very cinema in mm-hmm. this movie, and some things that are just not not yeah. really well done. But I feel like it's just like a half step up from a TV movie. Yeah, I don't think a TV movie would have been able to afford to basically repaint over all of the stuff in that actual small town. The fact that it felt like a real place and right. not just a set that was really good. They got original si- Irish themed signs for everything, right? Uh, but then, like, the factory fire was very clearly at the limits of the budget. Sure. And it was that sort of orange haze over the top of it that you're like, okay, they're not really going to set this building on fire. I know that. Because it probably has to go back to being a dairy in a couple weeks. But, I mean, I, I mean, like, T- Tom Atkins, I th- believe, is also in um, – it's the movie that's based in Canada. It's a coal mining town. Oh, it's like Valentine's Day or something. Uh, anyways, Tom Atkins is in that movie, too. And that's definitely also a – like bargain basement budget movie that um we'll just we'll just add in through the magic of editing what the movie actually is uh it's that where it's like it's it's based in a town and it's got all these weird people and um it's extraordinarily low budget but oh my bloody valentine that's what it is but the thing that makes it a half step up from that is one the expect your expectations of the quality of a horror film, especially from this era, are pretty low. Mm-hmm. Like of what what is sort of acceptable in terms of like how believable and how well it actually flows. And two, all it needs to be is just like I said, one half step up into the level of sort of this weird heightened reality and have things that you realistically couldn't show on television. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of that sort of kicks it into the gear of this realm of it can be like. Uh, in the in the pantheon of horror movies, you know, even though it really is mostly trash, you know, yeah. um, that's, but it's, that's it's what a, I admire it's a about delightful, this movie. charming trash. Yeah, I would say yeah. that the thing that sort of makes it is that there's a level of weirdness to this movie that gives it a charm that a lot of these movies don't have because of the strange creativity. And I can see there's probably a lot of script doctoring that went into this. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Dino De Laurentiis stuff, like I would imagine, the romantic plot between Doctor Dan. And this 20-something girl and the fact that you see her in lingerie, you see her very briefly getting out of the shower, that sort of stuff. That was probably a Dino De Laurentiis decision along with a lot of the heavier gore effects. Because this movie is not a slasher. It's really much more of a sort of mystery conspiracy with, you know, occasional gruesome deaths. Mm -hmm. But those are the parts of it that just they don't feel like they blend into the overall plotter themes of the movie but they were just sort of put there because the producers are like okay here's a checklist we need xyz um we need to get as close to showing her topless as we can right without right. showing her topless because that's a we don't want to jump above that rating level we want to be just on that line as completely close to that line as possible but we need some boobs in this movie the incoherence of the plot i think doesn't matter as much to me i think the thing that falls really short for me is the writing. There is, I think there was, I think I have 
one standout line that surprised me. And it was super early on. It's when Dunsmere, who's like the police chief of the town that um, Ellie's dad is at the hospital is in, where uh, Dr. Dan is from. And he says, you know, they've identified the body and she's broken up. And the police chief says, "Uh, we can't do anything here. Why don't you go and get some rest? I might have some more questions. And we might have some more answers. And I was like, that was the one, that was the one time that the script surprised me with something that I didn't expect. And the rest of the movie was just, I'm surprised by what weird shit they were throwing at the screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the, they didn't give Dr. Dan never got a, the a hero moment where he got to have a fuck. Yeah. A fuck. Yeah. Moment and a line or anything like that. He never gets any of that. And of course, Everyone else is written as expository. The entire movie is expository. Yeah, he does get to punch into the stomach of, of one of the androids right. and pull no, out like the butterscotch wires. Right. That was exciting. Yeah. And first it looks like he's punching him in the dick. <laughs> and that's why he froze. Because these guys are both weirdly fragile, but also super strong. Mm-hmm. But he punches, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's his stomach. And I was like, oh, shit, are we going there? Are we going to pull a dick off in this movie? <laughs> There, there's that would another, have been exciting. There's that another been... super suggestive one. Uh, now I can't remember which one it is. There's one of the deaths where uh, the androids have one of the guys surrounded and they drop him to his knees and then rip his head off. But while he's dropped to his knees, it kind of feels like there's going to be a forced fellatio thing yeah. happening. But it's the androids, so they're obviously not going to do that. So it's really strange that they just is like, down on your knees right in front of my crotch, and then they just pull, his, they pull, pull his the head dummy's off head off. With this weird kind of like stock... <laughs> sound effect <laughs> but speaking of uh, the sound effect every time and this is probably where the score becomes a sound effect i'm always a big fan of that by the way in a movie every time you see the androids for the first time and they walk out with their sort of jc penny suits on <laughs> it goes <laughs> and i just like oh i just it, i love it these dudes walking out there right out of the jc penny's catalog coming towards you in their suit um, you hear him coming because of the... <laughs> <laughs> it's like this klaxon alarm sound, and I just I kind of love it. I I would be remiss if I didn't mention that in the bar, the when Dr. Dan is, is uh, at, drinking alone at the bar by himself at the beginning, and he's watching the television, it's a Ralph Bakshi cartoon that I think um, John Carpenter does like some fake music that's over it. Mm-hmm. And for being Ralph Bakshi, I'm surprised that it wasn't like... like a woman with giant breasts and some kind of like super grotesque offensive racial stereotype, which is basically what he did. It was like, it was like a talking plant or something. Yeah, it, and it I was like, why, why, why choose that out of everything that Ralph, Ralph Bakshi has done? And it makes no sense. There's nothing ironic to the plot of it it's at all. Probably just cheap footage, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But it has these weird music that doesn't match the images and right. it's got the random sound effects. Oh, Kind of like in the old days when people used to play a video game in a movie, and it's just like random Pac-Man noises. Ma- mouse trap noise. And it's just like, I don't know what that game is trying to be, <laughs> but it's just, it's a noise machine, and it's just like, oh, okay, I'm just getting a window into how old people see this thing. <laughs> that is just a bunch of random, annoying noises that you're like, God, it's, it's designed to make you go, God damn it, kid, will you shut that down? I'm actually surprised. Uh, Surprised that there is not this isn't this is an eighty two movie. There's not a single uh, arcade game in this movie. No, most most uh, horror movies and most movies from this era usually have like you're in a pizza parlor, you're in a bar or something, and this one kind of feels like it doesn't exist in the eighties. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some piece of it that you it could be a movie. Like, it could be from the 50s or 60s or something. If I it, mean, you could very easily kind of retrofit the plot of this movie and make it a, a series of video game cabinets <laughs> that have these right. subliminal messages in it that turn you into monsters and make you kill your parents. Oh, um, that would have been, like, the second one yeah. that they yes, would do. Yes, it's the, like, got the TV, got the video games. The next one would be, like, Facebook. I don't know. Like, it's, or the, the dark web. Progression, or, yeah. Or critical race theories. Yeah, they uh, like, go to this website at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's, a, it's like you take a thing that old people are scared of 
and you turn it into like I don't know what that is and I don't understand it. So I think it's destroying society. Um, but yeah, you, you get and the, for this movie, it's kids. It, I, <laughs> I guess oh, it is kids. There is nothing that scares a middle-aged person more than kids, <laughs> especially kids that are enthusiastically making sounds. They're like, "What's going on over there? What's going on? What is that sound?" And They're like wearing these masks. Their faces are distorted. It's so terrifying. It's just so weird. But there is kind of a, a weird sort of like television plus but the idea that there's some kind of non-christian element that's targeting right. your kids mm-hmm. um it's there's always that kind of that kind of part of it in the early 80s i would be interested in looking up what years the satanic panic was at probably its height but it would have to be about this time i mean if i mean you would you might want also to say if this were a satanic panic movie then they would at least have a priest or some character yeah. make reference, and they don't make. There's there's like a church in the background of the town. Mm-hmm. There's no like priest character. There's no reference to God whatsoever. So it's also strange in that way, where it's like normally the enemy of the cult is the church, the Catholic you know? church. Yeah. yeah, where they're like, no, if anyone's gonna target kids, it's gonna be us. <laughs> well, I think I think it was like on the downhill of the Satanic Panic because like Rosemary's Baby and um, the Wicker Man. And yep. uh, what was the other one that I was just thinking of? That I can't remember. Anyway, those are happening like in the seventies ish. So mm-hmm. if this was eighty two, then it would kind of be like teetering off, and then we'd be moving on to the yeah, new this... thing, which was robots. What 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 year was the uh, the first edition of D anD D printed? It's like seventy eight or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. Like, mm-hmm. To I me, think, to me, that's that. I think by I'm... the time you get to about the mid eighties, it's it's at its it's starting to crest and go down. Right. right. Yeah. Because I always associate that with saying like, okay, that this is this is probably where the most hysteria came from is at the time when D and D. But also the ascendance oh, of the religious fair. right and the sort of Reagan's Morning in America, the sort of like Pokemon, this sort of <laughs> neo nineteen fifties kind of nostalgia for a lost time where kids used to be respectful and everyone went to church and like that kid that flipped his mom off. Yeah. <laughs> It's that kind of stuff where it's just like, oh, these days have gotten too bad. And in a weird sort of way, you know, the villains of this movie are trying to make Halloween great again. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're saying that something was taken away from them, that this Halloween, you know, the the festival of Samhain used to mean something. And now we're going to kill a bunch of kids and... I don't really. I haven't thought ahead that far. And steal some Stonehenge. I don't know. We've, like, we've tried nothing, and the only thing we can do is kill millions of children. Yeah, <laughs> I just. I think. What? Imagine you're like the FBI, and you raid that factory. Where do you even fucking begin? <laughs> it's just like, okay, we found a dead family with bugs coming out of their head. There's snakes in that room. Oh, we found Stonehenge. I guess that that mystery is solved. <laughs> Check that one off. Okay, well, call it a day. <laughs> where, it's like, where do you even fucking start with that investigation? But it's just like, I mean, it's over for Dan O'Herlihy that he's basically, you know, there's no fleeing this, you know. You, there's no denying that your masks killed those children. So it's not like you can just go back to selling regular masks next year. Well, he's dead. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. But I mean, it kind of the way he reacts to being killed, maybe that was the plan all along. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he yeah. was going to, all of these guys were going to they basically metaphorically set themselves on fire in the car the way that the robot does. Right, right. But yeah. So I guess that leads us to the, the big final question. Is Halloween 3 worth your time? Oh, yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, gosh, the bar is so much lower in the yeah, month of October, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I had seen every other Halloween movie except for this one, including wow. the newer ones. Oh, um, wow. Don't ask wow, me wow, about wow. the ones in the mill because it's been a while since I've seen those. Okay. But I did see the new ones in the theaters when they were coming out. Would not recommend them. Or do. I don't care. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad I saw it now that, you know, I've completed you know, everything. I've seen it all. And there was something like interesting about it. Like it just, it was not what I expected, even though I've been told many times, it's not what you expect. And um, yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily choose it again, but you know, if it was on, I'd be like, oh yeah, remember this part. (laughs) It's a hangout movie for sure. It's that kind of uh, like I've mentioned Phantasm and Troll 2. I feel like it's that on that order of movie where it's clearly a bad movie and there are clearly things about it that make it just not really work but it's the you know it's it's not the sharknado it's not birdemic it's not the asylum movies it it's not a movie that was 
cynically made to just be a cheap piece of trash because there might be people who are okay watching cheap trash. Mm -hmm. It was started off as probably a few good ideas and had a lot more ideas, you know, onto it. And the director who finally got around to it probably had a lot of good ideas of his own. So there was heart there. Mm -hmm. There was heart in making the movie, but it it is a miserable failure of a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I also actually had a question for you guys too. And maybe we could end with it or we could answer it now. Uh, Which mask are you getting? I've got to go with the pumpkin. The pumpkin one's the one I like the most. I think it's creepy. It looks like something you'd wear on the purge. Oh, yeah, definitely. I I do like the skeleton one. I do like the skeleton head. Yeah, Yeah. I was between the skeleton, but I think I'll go with the witch to just like make sure we get all of them. (laughs) We each get one. Oh, Um, man, we missed out. I should have bought three of them for this spent-off. I'm going to say this movie's worth it. Um, It's not a lost masterpiece. I think it's underrated compared to all the hate that it's gotten. It's not even in the top five of worst Halloween sequels, uh, because there are some of those. That's a that is a franchise. Let's just say where you have some movies that are really really good. I like the 2018 one. I love the original. The second one is good. There's a lot of fucking trash, especially once you get into the ones that are in the late 80s, early 90s. Halloween Resurrection is a fucking train wreck. Mm. It's a hilarious train wreck, but it's still a train wreck. This movie is watchable, and like you said, it doesn't feel like it was made just to pump out something with a brand name on it. There's a lot of creativity into this movie. It's incoherent creativity. It doesn't really nail down what it wants to be about or what genre it's really in. I mean, there's a conspiracy, but the android thing and the supernatural pagan cult thing just feel like they're butting up against each other and those two parts never really fit together in a coherent way but it's that kind of randomness that gives it the charm that i get out of this movie right right it's because it doesn't make sense i i just also got the sense of um a few years back i was really really obsessed during uh october with doing with watching as many italian giallo and italian horror movies oh i love giallo um, movies and and but you but then you know like the appeal to it really isn't that there's that these somehow amazing masterpieces of craft. The appeal to it is the fact is that they have essentially the same formula, and the, but there's usually a few really weird novel things mm-hmm. that maybe that maybe three or four times in a movie there's some like weird novel thing that makes it really interesting to revisit. But that's not this. Yeah, this is not like oh, this is not like a Jalo movie where you're like, well, I really am bored you know, about 50% of the time in this movie and waiting for stuff to happen, you're constantly being like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. You're, you, you are, you're legitimately drawn in by how opaque the whole thing is. So it's yeah. not, yeah. it's not even on that level of like, I'm going to watch it. Like I would watch an Italian horror movie, which is just waiting for that one thing. You know? The incoherence leaves you on the edge of your seat, trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. Cause whatever's happening is not a thing that makes sense necessarily. It's not a thing that fits with the other things that you've seen. So as you're starting to solve a mystery and you're sort of filling in the puzzle pieces, you're like, I don't even think this thing is going to come out to look like a square in the end. I don't even know if all the pieces are in the box. I don't know what's going on. But There's each... pieces from like another puzzle in this box. There's a Monopoly house in here? It's like, it's that kind of shit. Where, But that's the stuff I like where it's just like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but whatever it is, it's going to be fucking strange. And it is. And it's the ending. I really think that this movie has like a top five movie ending. That this movie, if you're going to get one part of your movie right, and we said this about like Terminator 3. The Terminator 3 is a completely mediocre movie with a spectacular ending. And if you're going to get one thing right, get the ending right. At least leave people on a note that makes them think the movie was probably better than it was. And... If you're going to watch only one part of this movie, the ending on YouTube is well worth it. And I got to say, the performances are good. I think that people like Dan O'Herlihy, who has this sort of weird kind of sinister glee, but he's like talking about the murder of children in the way that you talk about disappointment that you just got the new sales reports in and profits are down. But he's like, (laughs) 
Oh, maybe we will. Market share is down. I thought we were going to kill more kids this year. I mean, it's like, it's that weird kind of mix of the banal in the way he's talking about something extraordinary. And he does it really well in RoboCop, too. It's what I love about him. And I think that he and Tom Atkins elevate a script that if you'd given this to somebody else, they just they sell it. Tom Atkins, in the moment where he sees a kid's head turn into a bag of bugs, <laughs> he just... He, they could have him scream or something like that, but he doesn't. He just looks so fucking wiped. Like, he's got nothing left. Like, he's just... He's also been watching the movie and yeah. not sure what to do with this information. Like, he doesn't know where to start. It's like, he feels like he's already lost, but he just looks traumatized. And I love that reaction. It's those little bits like that. And that guy noping out at the hospital. Right. That I think kind of elevate this movie. Um, so I'd say it's worth your time. Um, it's not... It's not going to be your new favorite, but I think it's going to be maybe it's going to go into the Halloween rotation of things for sure to watch with friends just to see the look on their face when this shit happens. <laughs> so, Kirby, I want to thank you so much for joining us on oh, this yeah. episode. It was fun. Glad I finally got around to seeing Halloween three. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, Kirby Green, is there anything that you're working on now? Um, any projects you want to share with us? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. You shared this... some stickers. With yeah, me I got some stickers. I got more stickers if you guys some, want to see them. You should put some uh, some of your stickers online i Your think stickers i are will fantastic they're um yeah we're getting there we're, we're working on it <laughs> i want i want you to make my uh sticker idea which is uh, an oil painting of Karl marx with giant breasts and on <laughs> and nipple pasties that have the hammer and sickle on them. oh I my I want, gosh you want to do that for me okay we'll okay. see we'll it's see. doing it for somebody <laughs> <laughs> So thank you so much for being on there. That took a turn, but I guess it's appropriate for this movie. <laughs> Don't know what's coming next. <laughs> so thank you, Kirby Green, for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. And a special thank you to our episode sponsors. Special thank you to Larry Brunswick, Margaret King, Tim Batson, Dan Neidecker, Zuri Russell, Steel Wolf, Sterling Taylor, Wim the Belgian, Misa the Barbarian, Jem Newman, Carol and Dave Brulette, Calzone, Matt Weber, Kaylin, Jeff Nathan, Christopher Allen, McDowell Horn, B. Campbell, and Splurbs. Thanks, Splurbs. Now, thank you guys thank you. <laughs> so much. Uh, and if you want to become an episode sponsor, please go to patreon.com slash radio versus the Martians or go to our website, radio versus the Martians.com. Click the big green button. It's on the right side of the screen or if you're on your phone at the way bottom. Otherwise, folks, we will catch you next month. Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. means the death of millions of people, everyone watching. Don't you understand that? If, if, well, say it's a bomb, then say, say whatever you want. Say whatever you like, just get it off the air. Please, you just, I, no, no, I can't prove it. You've got to believe me, believe me. Take it off the air now, please. You've got to, it means, Here's a Tuesday interruption. We're having technical problems. Please stand by. It's time. It's time. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by.
dark masks. Gather round your TV set, put on your masks, and watch. All witches, all skeletons, all jack-o'-lanterns. The third Gather commercial, it's still watch. on, please. Watch Take the off the third channel, the third channel, it's still running. Stop it, please, for God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got us. Please stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 Stop